This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, that would be me, your host, Douglas Everett, for at least a little bit longer. If you're keeping score on the web, this would be show number 691 of Radio Parallax. Almost all of these aired on KDVS. A few were internet-only programs, and we'd like to announce that uh, this will be our second-to-the-last program that will air on KDVS and KZFR, per our usual format over the last 13 years. Two weeks from now, we expect to switch over on terrestrial radio broadcast to a best-of radio parallax. We're hoping that uh, Graham Smith will stand in for me and use our archival material to come up with at least 30 segments over the 10 weeks of the fall quarter. Mr. Miller and I also plan to supplement that with some internet-only programs, perhaps four or five during that same interval. So, we're going to make it to show 700 and beyond. You can count on that. And it is too early to say what will happen in the year 2016. We might be back. We'll be, we'll be around for a while longer. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. And I want to note, it is my privilege on today's program to bring back the guy that started all this. We go back 15 years to a phone call one morning, at which time our guest, Steve El Guapo Alexander, called me and said, I'm sick of being a lawyer. Let's do a radio program. You be the doctor, I'll be the lawyer. Does that sound about right, Steve? It does. Now, Radio Parallax did not quite go in that direction of the doctor versus lawyer uh, fight. Because, you know, we're friends. We couldn't argue. Oh, hell, we always argue. We do, but we, always, <laughs> we, we argue off air. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I think a good product came out of this. Radio Parallax has been a great run for the past uh, 13 years. Now, we say thir- it was, you called me 15 years ago, and we originally had a program called Reality Radio on the Sacramento Cable Access that allowed me to move sideways over to Capital Public Radio for a while, etc. And then finally here at Davis, where we've had a run since 2002. But anyway, Steve, you and I are going to have something to talk about in our second segment. It's always been fun to have you on, being the master of improv that you are. So we're going to, we're going to wing it in our second segment. But I've got some of our usual work to do, our usual pattern we follow in the first segment. So uh, you, just, you just play my Ed McMahon, will you? I'll do it. Can I listen in? <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, <laughs> I suggest you do. All right, then let us start with the traditional way in which the program begins, which is on this date in history. Our date today is the 10th of September, and we would note that it was on September 10th in 1863 that Union Cavalry crossed the Arkansas River and beat Confederate troops in the Battle of Bayou Forche, and they occupied Little Rock for the remainder of the American Civil War. And you know, this brings up something. They're apparently re-airing Ken Burns' excellent Civil War series on uh, KVIE, and I caught a couple of them earlier this uh, week, and boy... It's worth pausing to mention that the American Civil War should have been over in two years, except luckily for the Confederacy, George McClellan was in charge of the Union troops and absolutely failed to carry the day when he had even like a 10 to 1 numerical superiority. Didn't he camp out on the White House lawn for like a week after he'd been ordered to go down to Manassas and they finally had to force him off the, off the grass? Well, Lincoln famously said to him if he wasn't going to use the Army of the Potomac, he'd like to borrow it. But I didn't realize he took this campaign down to, to take Richmond with 100,000 troops. The Confederates had 10,000. 
surrounding the city. He had like a 10 to 1 numerical advantage. He immediately looked around and called for reinforcements. <laughs> he refused to attack. He put the city under siege. When the, the Confederate Army went north in the famous Battle of Antietam, and he had the chance to completely smash their forces, again, with a huge advantage and a huge uh, number of reserves, he simply failed to do so. The war should have been over in 1862, but uh, that's what bad, uh, bad, bad leadership can do for you. Well, we don't have to go back in history for that. <laughs> well, that so true. And speaking of Lincoln, which we weren't exactly doing, but we would note that on September 10th in the year 1913, the Lincoln Highway opened as the first paved coast-to-coast highway in the United States. I didn't realize it was that old. That's old US 40. I think it goes over Donner Summit, all through Soda Springs, and there's still pieces of US 40 uh, in Loomis and in Rockland. If you want to get a little hmm. you know, piece of history, you can pull off on Rippy Road. There's an orange stand there and just drive right through Loomis next to Taylor Road. You'd be on US 40. Hmm. And how about this? Eight years later, September 10th, 1921, the world's first controlled access highway, in other words, a freeway, was uh, opened up as part of the German Autobahn system near Berlin. Uh, can you imagine 1921, first freeway? Did not know that. And speaking of Germany, on September 10th, 1939, about a weekend of the war, Hitler's Nazi armies had overrun Poland, with, I think, a little bit of help from Stalin on the Eastern Front. Our quote of the day comes from the newly departed Oliver Sacks, who said, When people die, they cannot be replaced. They leave holes that cannot be filled. For it is the fate, the genetic and neural fate of every human being to be a unique individual, to find his own path, to live his own life, to die his own death. On a lighter note, we have a quip from Albert Einstein, who said, The person who follows the crowd will usually go no further than the crowd. The person who walks alone is likely to find himself in places no one has ever seen before. Our joke of the day comes from the writers for Jimmy Kimmel, who noted earlier this week, a new report found that the U.S. economy created 173,000 jobs last month. The most common job created this summer was a teacher. The second most common job was a Republican presidential candidate. And our two generic bonus jokes of the day are as follows. Said Craig Schumacher, my dog is half pit bull, half poodle. Not much of a guard dog, but a vicious gossip. And also on the subject of dogs, from Larry Reeb. They say the dog is man's best friend. I don't believe that. How many friends have you neutered? All right, for our good news of the week, we have two items. One serious, one less so. The good one comes from The Economist magazine, which notes that all around the world, cities are starting to put pedestrians and cyclists before motorists. This makes them nicer and healthier to live in. To quote from the magazine, Guragan, a city in northern India, is abuzz with, um, well, some free bicycling on a four-kilometer stretch of road. The folks there were inspired by Bogota, Colombia's Ciclovia for which Colombia's capital closes 120 kilometers of streets on Sundays and holidays. Such events are part of a movement that's accelerating around the world. Said The Economist, from Guangzhou to Brussels to Chicago, cities are shifting their attention from keeping cars moving to making it easier to walk, cycle, and play on their streets. Some central roads are being converted into pedestrian promenades, others flanked with cycle lanes. Radio Parallax thinks there's much potential good to come of this trend. 
And uh, on a lesser important note, we know that the good people of India, who just referred to them a moment ago, now may <laughs> enjoy something we've enjoyed in Sacramento for quite some time, Jim Boy's Tacos. According to the Sacramento News and Review, the Folsom-based company recently expanded domestically with locations in Southern California, Nevada, and Texas, but they have international plans for New Delhi and eventually Mumbai. Frankly, we, Mr. Will and I look forward to the day when we are in Connaught Place in New Delhi and can get a Jim Boy's Carnitas Taco. Our first of three stats of the day is the fact that Berkeley, UC Berkeley, opened up a football win last week over Grambling and ran up the score to 73 to, I don't know, whatever it was. You know, isn't that the kind of crap they do in schools like Oklahoma and Texas? Wouldn't you expect them to show a little more restraint here in California? What happened to it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. You know, running up the score, that's something, yeah, that's something like Barry Switzer used to do. As poetic justice is and will be for Berkeley, that is more points than they will score in the total of all the remaining games the rest of the season. You heard it here first. The preceding opinions, like all those heard on this program, we hasten to emphasize, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. All right, our second stat of the day, which is a surprise, is that electricity generated by U.S. wind farms fell 6% in the first half of this year, even though wind farm capacity grew by 9%. This, apparently, is thanks to some of the softest air currents in the last 40 years. These feeble breezes are thought to continue perhaps into early 2016 as El Nino holds back wind speeds across much of the U.S. Didn't see that one coming. You just can't count on nature. (laughs) Our third stat of the day is that 58% of Americans consider themselves haves rather than have-nots. This is down one point from seven years ago, whereas 38% say they're have-nots, up from 32% back in 2008. 54% say that they do not think the U.S. society is being divided into haves and have-nots, while 45% do. Which certainly invites our bonus quip of the day from the late, great Molly Ivins, who was once a Radio Parallax guest. She's on our archives if you want to listen to it, and we hope you do. Said Molly, I always thought the world was divided into only two kinds of people. Those who think the world is divided into only two kinds of people and those who don't. Yeah, Molly Ivan scored big points with us when she heard that our show was called Radio Parallax, and she goes, I love that metaphor. All right, and Steve, at this point in the show, we sometimes do some follow-up. There's a bit uh, of follow-up here from my visit to the Dominican Republic last year when I made some comments about how I was scared to be driving, especially at night in the country. It turns out, according to some recent stats, my fears were well-founded. It's noted that traffic fatalities here in the U.S. leaped 14% for the first six months of this year, but they compare that to a sampling of annual traffic deaths per 100,000 residents of some other countries. Now, you should keep in mind that here in the U.S., that would be 11.4 per 100,000. But if you're driving in South Africa, triple that to 31.9 per 100,000. And the Dominican Republic apparently tops the list. 41.7 traffic deaths per 100,000. What do to what? Well, I think a combination of, in some cases, poor roads, and uh, I would think a lot of um, rum substance abuse. Yeah, yeah. probably rum foremost on, on the list. Yeah, we love talking about water issues in this program. So, as uh, just a bit of brief follow up, I would note that on NPR they were talking about an effort down in Los Angeles to conserve water by basically putting plastic balls on top of their reservoirs to stop evaporation. Yeah, but 
do you really want your reservoir covered in plastic balls since we're worried about plastic uh, compounds, bisphenols and the like leaching out? I mean, I hope I hope they made these plastic balls out of some high quality plastic. That's all food grade and then some. How about this item? We've talked about, uh, you know, uh, narcotics and the like and the effort swinging back, the pendulum swinging back the other way to, toward restricting them more. They now made Vicodin and uh, other compounds containing Schedule. hydrocodone. Schedule. Schedule. Two, which puts them in the same class as oxycodone and other other issues, right. uh, other other medicines, right. which I don't think is a good thing. Okay, well I, I'll say this: that uh, my sources, uh, meaning that I can't I can't cite the specific statistic, but there are more accidental deaths due to overdose, mostly with younger people, due to the illicit use of prescription narcotics, controlled substances, than heroin, cocaine, marijuana. Everything else put together. It is a huge ec- epidemic. Well, you, you, drug realize, diver- you realize drug that- diversion of those drugs is really causing untoward irreparable harm. The number of the number of people that die from all these illicit drugs is not a terribly high number to begin with. Well, you're a population, you know, growth guy anyway. But the sad part is this: twenty year old kid can get hooked on Vicodin or get hooked on OxyContin or get hooked on hydrocodone, whatever it might be, and there's a market. It bounces back and forth in terms of this, this street value between OxyContin and the, the uh, C2's uh, controlled substances and heroin. So when the, the $80 a tab price on an OxyContin tab goes up, these same kids that are totally addicted going to you know UC Berkeley and Chico State or whatever, there's a lot of kids that are, are really in bad, bad trouble. And a lot of them end up on heroin, which isn't just bad. But now you've got the lifetime addiction and stigma that goes along with it. So you can't poo-poo the, the diversion of those drugs. On the other hand, doctors, right, right. You, you legitimate da- doctors uh, should not be uh, hamstrung or taken out of the clinical judgment that they have to prescribe pain medication for people that need it. And there is the dichotomy, you know, the tension. All right. Well, now you've heard one lawyer's opinion. One no. doctor's opinion is that we're probably under-medicating pain still in this country. The news item I was going to cite was that the FDA approved the use of narcotic OxyContin for children aged 11 to 16 whose symptoms of pain from surgery, illness, or injury cannot be relieved by other medications. These patients also must have been treated with opioids before so doctors know that they can tolerate it. I don't think that's such a bad thing. I'm not saying that that is either. That's an appropriate use of pain medication. Well, good. So we'll, come to, we'll agree on that. Yes. And here's an item I definitely want to speak with you about, Steve. We've been seeing on the news lately this kind of owl-faced clerk down in Kentucky who's refusing to, uh, I guess, issue marriage licenses to gay couples. I guess they threw in the slammer. All, all of my most liberal friends are, are out there, you know, strutting around saying, like, she can't say, she can't make up a, her own mind on, on these supposed religious basis and, and override the law. But... Yours truly would like to hearken back to the time of Rose Byrd, being the Chief Justice of our Supreme Court, who 58 times in a row threw out death penalty convictions on appeal for this or that or some some other justification, when it's pretty hard for me to believe she wasn't acting on her own um, beliefs. And, and no one seemed to object to that because they shared those beliefs. So I'd like to just point out that uh, I don't see much difference between this clerk and our uh, Supreme Court Justice, who was removed from office because of the public getting enough of her, I think, putting her own views ahead of the law. That's just my opinion. Your, your comment? Well, first of all, you raised a couple of points. Number one, the law expects judges to not throw their common sense out or their personalities 
or their worldviews out when they become judges. But we want them to be wise. We want them to have a fidelity to the rule of law. And so that that's why there, there are legions of opinions from the Supreme Court of the United States going back you know, hundreds of years that show uh, wisdom and a, a good faith application of our constitutional law to the ever-changing needs and, and demands of our society. The problem is today, from top to bottom, whether it's a teacher in school, whether it's uh, you know, a familial situation, judges, lawyers, doctors, consumers, people don't really care about the rule of law. It's not as a guiding uh, light or something that, that sets the parameters of what is uh, right conduct and wrong conduct. So you're right with Rose Byrd. She had a reputation for being an activist, but that's, that's really just a precursor to what you hear today with Supreme Court justices and other judges that issue rulings. And rather than listen, you know, read the ruling and determine whether it's within the rule of law, people, you know, right at the, at the outset claim that it's just, you know, a judge being a, a, an activist. So there isn't a lot of intellectual honesty or high-minded discussion yeah. about judges. Well, Rose Bird, though, was, I think everyone agrees, you know, an activist. That, yeah. that I believe you actually have a story about Rose Bird. Well, actually, not? yeah, I, I'm kind of twisted about Rose Bird because back then I, I was more of a constitutional scholar. And you know, read read the appellate uh, sheets, you know, every uh-huh. other week, and uh-huh. and uh, you know, I was one that thought that she, uh, you know, really kind of massaged sometimes the law to fit the particular fact pattern to predict an outcome that maybe she personally wanted to achieve. What I'm driving at is, I, I believe, Steve, that you you actually got got to address her. Did I did. Not? So, yeah. but but I always respected the office and uh-huh. still do of whoever's. Uh-huh in the office. Yeah, but tell and, the story. And, I, and so I got, I was 27, and I <laughs> I was asked to, I wasn't asked, I, I was handling a case that had to do with uh, uh, dram shop liability, whether people serving alcohol to people who then go out uh, from the party at somebody's home and runs over a family in a van, whether they could be held, held liable for that. So there was some legislation, blah, blah, blah. I ended up in front of the Supreme Court of California, and... Um, I got up to argue. All of the Rhodes Scholar, <laughs> Yaley, Harvard guys representing the California Motel Association and the Hotel Association and Seagram's, and they, they wanted my time, part of my time. I only had 15 minutes. I got there that morning, and they said, oh, no, you just go ahead and do it. We think you, you'll do just fine. And they, <laughs> they slinked they, off to, they, you know, they out just, the back door. They let you handle the whole argument? Yeah. So uh, it was my turn. Nice. I, was, I was second, and I was <laughs> called upon, and I stood up and in my uh, one of my two suits that I owned at that time, and uh, proceeded to speak in tongues. And mind, mind you, I'm not Catholic. I spoke in tongues for about two minutes, and it was sort of like, "Good morning, counsel, proceed." Good morning, good and, uh, of course, you know, a few people from my office are there to watch, and my wife, and they were all thinking, oh, my God, he's going to spontaneously combust. And as I was speaking in tongues, finally, Rose Bird, who I'll always appreciate, said, excuse me, counsel, let me interrupt. Now, you're Steve. I am Steve. And you represent so-and-so. Yeah, all right, I represent soldier. And uh, you have a case. You're here to argue your case. I ready to argue, your honor. Anyway, she, it was like she was at the controls. I was in a dive, and she just pulled back on that yoke 
And I just slid right up into the, into smooth flying, and I was able to make my argument. You able to be, you you returned to being articulate. Yeah, it was it was a really uh, life changing experience. Well, we'll have to doff our hat to the late the late Supreme Court Justice Roseberg for her yeah. bit of kindness to a young very, attorney. Very kind, very kind. Anyway, I, I guess they let this clerk out of jail now. She was just put put in there to make a point, and I guess Mike Huckabee's down there talking about her case being the most important thing in the whole campaign which I think tells you everything you need to know about the Mike Huckabee campaign. You know, it's true that uh, a person has a right to uh, have fidelity for their own beliefs and religious beliefs in particular. I mean, she got caught because she applied for a job, became the clerk of a county, was in that position for a long time. Then the world changed. And the world changed because, uh, you know, same-sex marriages are now a national rule of law nationally. That's the rule. So what happens? Does she get to not do her job as described? The county her employer would have to make reasonable accommodations for her. For example, they could say, okay, you personally do not have to issue the uh, marriage certificates, but your deputies can, and we'll do a local ordinance that allow them to do that. Then they would be accommodating her. But she didn't want her name as a county clerk to be on the thing at all. So she has kind of a choice to make. I don't think she deserves to be, uh, uh, you know, put in the public square and made fun of. Apparently some sharp-eared persons noted on last week's program that we forgot to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we have a choice of doing two versions of this today or, um, well, maybe just putting an extra one on one of our future internet programs. I think we'll go that route. So for this week's show, we would note that according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for political correctness with the news that Washington State University professors have warned students that using oppressive and hateful language such as male, female, and illegal immigrant will result in bad grades. But administrators have promised to ensure that no student will be punished for, quote, using terms that may be deemed offensive to some, unquote. Which, frankly, Steve, seems like a rather hollow promise, doesn't it? The the world's lost its mind, okay? (laughs) We're like a fasciitis-eating bacteria. You can't say illegal immigrant. I know we no, can't say ill. I know male we can't say male are now considered hateful oh, language. Well, that, well, of in course, Washington because, State University. Because you can't say father or mother. You have to say parent one, parent two. Pretty soon it'll be unit one, unit two. <laughs> it was, on the other hand, a bad week a couple weeks back for exposing kids to art after a 12 year old Taiwanese boy on a museum tour tripped and put his fist through a 350-year-old masterpiece by Italian artist Paolo Porpura, valued at $1.5 million. It was placed six inches from the edge of a little 12-foot or 12-inch barrier that all the kids were lo- were walking along. You know the story? The guy, I saw a video of it. God, can you believe these kids? <laughs> and it was apparently an ugly week a few weeks back for first impressions after a Chicago man evidently accidentally sent naked selfies of himself to the company human resources manager who had just hired him, sparking a police investigation, said the local police chief, my understanding is they've rescinded the offer of employment. And finally, it was both a bad and ugly week a couple weeks back for, uh, I guess you'd say, adulterers with the story about Ashley Madison. As you have no doubt heard in the news, apparently hackers released all the information about who was using Ashley Madison, which is, a, which is a website for adulterers. It's worth actually quoting a favorable comment from Glenn Greenwald about this whole episode. Said Greenwald, the 37 million users of the site are far more complex than the good, 
slash evil caricatures branded by smug moralizers. Some of these folks may have open marriages, and some may have spouses who won't or can't have sex. Are all these people really deserving of full-scale reputational ruin and worse? What I find most curious, and I think you may too, it was been revealed that the the membership is overwhelmingly male. Analysis of all this leaked data reveals that at least 31.3 million of those 37 million accounts belong to men. But here's the part I like the best. Most of the online, quote, conversations, unquote, men had with potential female hookups were actually with bots, automatic computer programs set up by the company to fool them. I don't know, for my money, that's the sleaziest thing about this whole story. Wait, is it they didn't get what they paid for? Well, they, they were being misled and thinking they were actually having conversations with women. All right, let's go out with a one-minute lightning round here of some things we did about 10 years ago, which, are, which is actually a section from Uncle John's unsinkable bathroom reader on the correct pronunciation of some mispronounced words. All right, first off, applicable. It's applicable, not applicable. And it is correctly prelude, not prelude. And while it is often pronounced quasi, it is more correct to say quasi. I call it quasi. <laughs> And finally, it's not a French word, so pronouncing the last syllable of valet as valet is incorrect. It should be valet. So is it Chevrolet? No, that's French. But another fake French word is foyer. That's not right. It should be pronounced foyer. quite enough of those, Steve. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. I'll be joined in our second segment by, by our oldest pal, Mr. Steve Alexander, better known to his friends as El Guapo. El Guapo. 